I want to share something real quick with everybody, and I want to give you a, a story of why I'm here. Um, what Scott just prayed, um, I've kind of shifted my focus here a little. Um, I, I, a couple weeks ago, Scott shared the discipline. He's been going through the disciplines, and he shared the one on uh, silence and solitude. And I was listening to it online because I was with Meg and didn't get to hear it. And he made a comment about, and he, he mentioned me, and he said, um, you know, somebody who's really good at it is Patty. I'm actually not really good at it, and that's not a slam to Scott. Um, I, I got unsettled, uh, and, and the, the message bugged me a little. And I shared that with Scott but yesterday, not two weeks ago. And I, I've learned in my life um, to stop for a minute and to say, Lord, how are you coming to me in this? And not just ignore it all the time. So I kind of stopped for a couple of weeks, and I thought, why, what was it about that message that uh, was a little unsettling to me? And I read something the other day, and it hit me, and I thought, this is why the message was unsettling. Um, because I think there's a detail that I'd like to share from my heart with you about that message. Um, I don't know why I felt I needed to do it today, um, but Scott came home yesterday, and I shared it with him. And I changed my mind and said, never mind. And then I changed it again and whatever. Well, anyway, he, um, I told him, I said, it's, it's kind of silly. You know, why would, but I have a passion in my heart. And um, it's funny how Scott told me yesterday, he said, it's funny that you want to share that because this is kind of where my message tomorrow is going. And I said, hmm, well, in the middle of the night, I completely changed my mind and said, that's stupid. I'm not going to share it. And he came down this morning and said, my message changed again. And would you please share this? I think this will complement today's message. Not only bring some clarification to two weeks ago. I want you all to hear my heart um, on why I practice the discipline of silence and solitude. I am not good at it. I desperately need it. Um, I have become aware uh, in January of 2014, um, I hit my knees, and I hit them hard. Um, I was raised in the church, um, not in ministry, but in the church. I was a good little girl in my own mind. I thought I was doing everything right. Um, I married a pastor, um, big pastor family. And, you know, you think, uh, anyway... I, I had a, an encounter that December with family at a Christmas that rocked my world and crushed my heart. And in January of 2014, I just hit my knees, and all I said was, I can't do this anymore. I didn't even know what this meant. I didn't know what this was. One of the things, I didn't know God spoke it to me at the time, but one of the things I heard, and I didn't know it was him until later, was, you don't know I love you. And Scott just prayed and prayed for our, our nation and prayed for people. And I think it's true. I think it's more true in the church, if I can be honest and not step on any toes, than it is almost outside the church. I think, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not here claiming that I know anything because I don't, but I wanted to just go back and share when he brought me into the message, I kind of wanted 
I'm all over the map. Um, it was funny because a couple, several months ago, the guys were teasing me and said, you need to share that message. And I'm like, you know why. But I want to bring a detail of why. The, 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 the spiritual discipline of silence and solitude, the contemplative prayer life is so vital. They all are. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. But I wanted to bring a piece of my heart from my own journey because of my experience, not because of what I've learned in my head. Because I've lived my whole life in the church through my head. And until I met Jesus in 2014 and he grabbed a hold of my heart and it's been a slow and tedious journey. It has been painful and hard um, because I have had to unlearn so much. But he's grabbed a hold of my heart and I need that presence. I need time with him. I, I know that you do too. You, we have to practice a discipline of being still in his presence. And I read this, and I thought, this is why I felt that unsettling. And I hope that this will um, talk to your heart like it did mine. I have something after this I want to say, too, believe it or not. Um, let me read this to you guys. The contemplative journey which to me is the practice of silence and solitude, is the most responsible of all responses to God because so much depends on it. The future of humanity, the healing of the wounds of humanity, and my own deepest healing. It's not just a method of meditation or a practice to find personal peace. It's not. It's basically a total acceptance of the human condition in all its ramifications, including its desperate woundedness. That's where I was. I was wounded and hurt and did not know there was a God who loved me. I didn't know, y'all. I wasn't aware. Um, and, and I've learned that in stillness and silence, in, in, in silence and solitude, in his presence, I have learned more about him. I have learned the new commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I wasn't loving my neighbor because I wasn't loving myself. I didn't have anything to give but my head knowledge, and it left me empty and lonely and left me feeling uh, rejected. Um, insecure and full of shame because I couldn't figure out why everybody else seemed to be able to get this but me. And in his presence, I've learned more about me than anything. Um, anyway, um, humans are fully capable of becoming God, not in the fullest sense of the term, so please hear me, okay? Not in the fullest sense of the term, but in a very real way where the light, life, and love of God are pouring through them, channeling a source of healing, compassion, and reconciliation wherever they go and whatever they do. They are rooted in the divine compassion and mercy and are manifesting, and I wasn't doing this, the pure light, not the pretentious light, not the light that shines on me and tells me I'm wonderful. Not my false self. Not the masks I wear. 
the pure light, the pure light of the image and likeness of God within them, which is the assimilation of the mind and heart of Christ in everyday life. And isn't that what we need? Isn't that what Scott just prayed? How do we, as a community of believers, especially in our Western culture, let go of all the masks and all the false self and all the pretense and the shame and the rejection, you let go of it by dwelling in his presence and letting the presence of the one who knows how to heal all of that fix it all. We become representations of him, not using him to manipulate our own sense of self-need, right? And I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I'm, I can be a little passionate in this area, but I'm, I'm saying I, I'm her. I'm telling you, I did not know. When I said I can't do this anymore, it was I cannot continue to live a life where I have to keep myself fed and, and upbeat and, and, and compare and be like you. I can't be like you. You are a treasure. You're, there's no one like you. You are unrepeatable. You're you. And, and the only way you find that out, there's, there's other ways. The way, one of the ways that we can cultivate that life of knowing who you are, the gift that you are, you're a gift. And you get to hear that in the privacy of a relationship in his presence where he gets to say to you, you're a gift. I need you. I want to see this world and my church changed because of the light that you get to bring to it. But you can't give away what we don't have, right? I'll read something else to you real quick. This presence is so immense, yet so humble, awe-inspiring, yet so gentle, limitless, yet so intimate, tender, and personal. I know that I am known. How many of us know we're known? I mean, how many of us know we are known? I don't have to compare myself to you. I get to be me. You get to be you, right? Everything in my life is transparent in this presence. It knows everything about me. All my weaknesses, brokenness, sinfulness, and still loves me infinitely. This presence is healing, strengthening, refreshing, just by its presence, not by my performance. It's not judgmental, self-giving, seeking no reward, boundless in compassion. It is like coming home to a place I should never have left, to an awareness that was somehow always there, but which I did not recognize. We were created in our mother's womb, knit together in love. That's home. When it talks about the prodigal son, I heard about, um, I, heard, I heard a comment. And, it, and the prodigal son in, in the word became more alive to me because of this comment. We are prodigals every time we try to find unconditional love where it cannot be found. Every time. 
But every time I do that, I get to come home, right? And I don't come home as a hired servant. I get to come home as a daughter. And then I read further, and I've, I've studied it a little and read it out. But I'm also the elder brother. No condemnation, no shame, nothing. But when I compare in a place where I felt I was already home, right? And I didn't know God's love. That was my, that was my story. I didn't go to a distant land to find unconditional love. I was looking for unconditional, I was looking for an unconditional love in my own sense of works and value. And, and, and the elder brother, his only, you know, fault was in trying to think that his works and his doing was what connected him to his father's heart. And yet the father not only ran out to the prodigal, but the father ran out to the elder son. And when he looked at his elder son, he said, son, Everything I have is yours. You know, this is your home. I'll never leave you. You don't have to compare. You don't have to perform. You don't have to work. Everything I have is yours. And so, you know, I know when Scott shares his message this morning and how it changed, it's, it's, it's kind of neat to me to think of where this message is going and, and whether or not this makes sense to any of why I'm going back to kind of come to today. I just felt in my heart that I wanted to make sure that it isn't because I'm good at it. It's because I desperately, desperately need his presence. And so I do have to practice the discipline of silence and solitude. When my life gets crazy, I, I can push it aside, but I am learning to choose a discipline of I need your presence because I can't give away what I don't have. I can't believe about myself what what I can't believe about myself. I have to believe about myself what, what you tell me to believe. I have to see myself through the light of your eyes. And I can't do that if I am busy. I can't take off the layers. I can't present myself as something in false. I can't remove my masks and allow him to remove them and be real if I do not sit and let presence himself change my heart. So I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I just... I just wanted to kind of share um, for whatever reason. So thank you. I was going to start a new series this week. And, um, and we'll probably start it next week if everything goes as planned. And we're talking about community is what I want to talk about next week. Um, and the importance of doing life with people, the importance of being there for people, the importance of not isolating ourselves, the importance of family, the importance of friendships, all that stuff, and we're kind of going to kind of go that direction as of now, but last night, I was, when I was driving back, I told Chris and Curtis, I was like, you know, I don't, my message is changing, and I don't know what it's changing to, and that's an uncomfortable feeling for me. Uh, it would be uncomfortable, like, if you had to give a presentation at work, and the boss told you the night before, your, after you studied and had everything together, Hey, I want you to present on something different. And, but you still have to do it tomorrow morning. And it was a whole new topic, a whole new thought. And uh, so that's what happened. So I come home and I was telling Patty a little bit about it. And she, she was telling me what, and I, what, she was, what she just shared with you. And, um, and I told her, I said, you need to share that. And she's like, I just don't know if I should. And can I just help you with something? This is what I told Patty, and I think it applies to all of us. 
Patty would never just come to me and say, can I get up and say something? Because she gets so nervous. That's just not her. The fact that she says, I think I might should, I already know <laughs> that's God because it ain't the devil telling you to encourage nobody. And you aren't going to do it on your own. So that's probably the Lord. Then I start studying. I, I just start, I told Patty, I said, I'm just going to go upstairs and I'm just going to pray and figure out what the Lord wants me to talk about tomorrow. And, um, and then everything changed. So we're back on the spiritual discipline. And <clears throat> uh, this should finish the series. I said that last time that the series was finishing, but hopefully this will finish it and may have it again next week. But um, it was like the Lord just kind of just gave me this, like really quick, a quick download of this is what I want you to talk about. And the, you know, I want you to follow me and I want you to get caught up in just the things I'm talking about. I want you to follow me through because at the end, it's all going to come together. The whole idea of spiritual disciplines is all going to come together at the very end. And we'll move through it um, uh, pretty quick. So here's what we're going to talk We're going to talk about evangelism. We're going to talk about it a little bit different. Because there's a lot of spiritual disciplines books, if you read, that don't have this as a spiritual disciplines. There's, there's a couple that do, but there's some that don't. Uh, this is more of an outward thing. This is more of a work. This is more of something we do, you know. And, um, and I begin to just pray about evangelism. Because here's what I know. The world needs Jesus. And we spend way too much time. I'm just going generic here, okay? So don't, I'm not talking about any particular people or churches. But we spend way too, many, too much time trying to have all these creative things of getting people in here. When we're out there all the time. That if people have to come here to hear Jesus, then we're not being light. Because our job should know about Jesus because we're there. Our, our, our neighborhood should know about Jesus because we're there. And what's happening is it's more comfortable to just bring people here and let someone else tell them than to really live it out and let our life shine for Jesus. Because we live in a culture now where people are easily offended and people have their, only, their ideas and, and everybody's got what they think and we don't want to offend anybody. And what happens is churches get so watered down because we don't want to offend anybody so let's just let's just change the bible up a little bit let's just do things a little different so everybody's comfortable and you can't be you can't make a difference in the world if you're not different than the world you can't so for light to make a difference we don't need to dim our light to make a difference in a dark world we need to shine our light. Jesus said, it says in Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. There are people that you know today lost. Jesus came not just to save them, but to seek them. How can I get to the lost? How can I help those who are lost? Now, again, I told you, you got to stay with me because this looks like this is a, a to-do list. We're going to go win the world for Jesus. Okay, that's, that's, I'm hoping we do. I want, I, that would be awesome. But it's not going to happen by just deciding, okay, I'm going to start winning the world today. So follow me with this. But the important thing is to understand Jesus came to seek and save the lost. How many have ever had someone close to you lost? 
not just spiritually, but even physically. I'll never forget at the beach. Meg was, how old was Meg? Four or five? And we're at the beach, and we're with this, another family, and we're, we're all just hanging right there, right by the edge of the water, just talking, playing. Kids are playing. I mean, we're right there, all of us. And then all of a sudden, I mean, it seemed like a minute. It just seemed like we had just got there. And all of a sudden, someone said, where's Meg? And Meg is, Meg is my princess. I mean, I have two boys, and if they were lost, I'd feel the same. But Meg, she's a little girl. And we can't find her. So at first, I'm like, well, she's here. I mean, she was just right here. She can't be far. So we're looking around. And literally, all of a sudden, she is not around. She's not, even, she's not anywhere close to us. And then this stuff rises up, and then we're, you can't really see through the water, so we're, we're looking in the water trying to figure out, like, but she was standing right here. I mean, it's not deep. I mean, and the waves are coming in. If she fell, it would push her this way. I mean, what? Where is she? And I'll never forget what happened. I had a mission to find the lost. And all of a sudden, I didn't care if I looked like an idiot. I didn't care if screaming would bother somebody. I didn't care if I kicked sand on someone's sandwich when I'm running. I just know my girl is lost. And I look at way down the beach. I mean, it was like God gave me like Superman eyes. Because I mean, way down the beach, like a hundred yards or more, there's this little speck. And I was like, I think that's Meg. And this desperation of a dad who sees this a lost child. I start running. And listen, I'm, I've never been known for my speed. Ever. When I would run, if I stole second in baseball, they're like, man, are you carrying a refrigerator on your back? Why are you so slow? You can time me doing a 100-yard dash. You can time me with a calendar. I'm slow. But I am running. And all of a sudden, this just something passes in me that is just like the speed of light. And I'm like, God, you're rescuing my daughter. Now I'm like, that's Patty. That's the mom who saw her daughter lost. And her daughter is crying and looking for hope. Looking to not be lost anymore. And we got to her. We hugged her so much because it scared us. And as I was saying, I thought, man, that's God's heart. People are lost and they're looking. Like, where do I belong? I'm away from what brings peace and, and hope. I don't have it. I'm looking for it. And Meg, the way she got lost is she saw a tent that was up, a little umbrella thing that looked kind of like ours. And you know when you're at the beach and you're in the water, you, sometimes you drift a little. 
And so, so she saw this and she thought she had just drifted down a ways and she saw it. So she just took off that way. And when she got there, she realized that's not it. And then she panicked and she was lost. But there was something that was, and I, that's the message of what God's love is all about, about reaching those who are lost and hurting and feeling what Meg was feeling. And if you've ever felt lost, you know what that feeling is, feels, feels like. It's a hopelessness. You're trying everything to find your way and you can't find it. That's the world today. That's the world. They're trying everything and they can't find it. And God is telling us, we got to help those people. It's selfish of us to hold Jesus to ourselves. When there's a world around us that's hurting and that's looking. And we're too afraid of what it's going to look like. Or what we're going to look like to really go out and share the love of God with people. Matthew 16, 15, Jesus says this. He says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. To everybody. He's called us to go. To go into all the world and share the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. We are Christ's ambassadors and God is making his appeal through us. Through us. The way people are going to know about God is through us. We are ambassadors. We are representatives, representatives of Jesus to this world. And we're, we are the way some people see Jesus. And if I can be honest and tell you, there's some, there's some unbelievers that what they see doesn't appeal to them is why they don't want to go to church or they don't want to be a Christian or because they don't see anything different. Because if they saw Jesus, if they saw love and forgiveness and acceptance and, and, and not being not being so judgmental and so critical and so whatever, if they saw Jesus in us, it would change. It would change their approach. Because I'm telling you, what they're looking for is Jesus. What they're looking for is hope. And we have it. We have it. Mark 5, <clears throat> 25 through 29, this is a story that's, uh, there's a guy who goes to Jesus and says, my daughter is dying. Can you please come? And Jesus says, yes, I'll go. And on the way, he's going. And there's a woman in the crowd who suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. And, and she suffered for a great deal. She, she went to many doctors over the years. She spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. But listen to this. She had, say it, heard about who? Listen, if you read the rest of the story, she got to Jesus. She, she just touched his garment. She said, if I could just get to him, I could be healed. That whole hope that she had came because somebody said, Jesus can help you. That hope that she had came because someone opened their mouth and said, there is hope for you. And it's Jesus. And that hope is what pushed her to go to Jesus. They didn't push her to church. They didn't push her to a podcast. They didn't push her to a blog. They pushed her to Jesus. Not saying that you can't get Jesus through some of that. But it's Jesus. If I can be honest with you, hear my heart. The world doesn't need Thrive. 
The world needs Jesus. And if they get Jesus through Thrive, that's great. But if they get it through Elevation or through Rocky River or through all these churches around us, that's great. Because hopefully everybody's pointing people to Jesus. That's what we have to do. We have to point people to Jesus. She heard about Jesus. Luke 18, 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past, he said, what's happening? And they told him, Jesus, the Nazarene, was going by. So listen to what he does. He begins shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The people said, be quiet. They yelled at him, be quiet. But you know what he did? He shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And then Jesus heard him. And he stopped. The rest of the story is Jesus heals, brings healing. Jesus stops and responds. He says, what do you want? He says, I want to be healed. And he heals him. But can I tell you something in this? He had hope. Because he heard about Jesus. How do I know he heard about Jesus? Because the people said, Jesus the Nazarene. But what he yelled was, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So he went further than, he's not just the Nazarene, y'all. I know that's what you think. In the natural, that's what he is. But what I know about this man, what I've heard about this man is that he's the Messiah. He's the one that came from the line of David. He's the son of David, the Messiah, that, that prophetic thing. That, that's what he knew. This is him. So he, because something, someone told him that, he knew that. So he didn't yell, Jesus, the Nazarene. He yelled, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew. Someone told him. Now, I, I, in my notes, I have this in three things, going, showing, and knowing. So the going part is us realizing we have to go. And we have to tell people about Jesus. But I want you to know it's not just opening your mouth, but it's telling people with your life that we live it. Because you are going to, if you want to live for Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, you are going to stand out in the world we live in. You are going to stand out. You're going to say no to things everybody else is saying yes to. You're going to love people everybody else is shunning. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna pray for people that everybody else is, is destroying. See, as a believer representing Jesus, you don't have the right. You don't have the right to criticize those in authority. As a believer, you love and pray for those in authority. That's what, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You're going to be different. Your Facebook page should look different than everybody else's. Your comments at work should be different than everybody else's because your life is showing who Jesus is. And you're showing them and you're telling them because your words have to line up with what you're living. So even though the thing about going and telling is important, you can only tell people. They're only going to listen if it's what you're living. Otherwise, you're doing what a lot of other people do. And we just have this, what Patty was talking about, this head knowledge. But people are looking for something that's real and genuine, and they want to see it in your life. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Instead, you must work 
Worship God, Christ, as Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. You know what that means? They're asking because they see hope in you as a believer. So they're going to ask you, which means there's something in your life that says, wow, that guy has hope or that girl has hope. How are you hopeful? Someone asked me about, are you nervous about the election? No. Well, what, 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 what happens if this? What ha- I'm not nervous. Even back in the days, just a few years ago when, when it was the presidential election, I wasn't nervous. And when people asked about it, I said, look, I'm not nervous. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to vote. And I'm going to pray. But here's what I know. My hope is not in what this world offers me. My hope is in the God that is above this world. My hope is in the one that one day every knee will bow to. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. My hope is in that. So if you have hope, listen, you're going to be different. When you have hope in a situation, when you go through a, a struggle, but there's something in you that I have hope. Hey, guess what? All of us are being light off on our jobs. That stinks. But there's still hope that God will take care of you. That he will lead you to another job and he'll provide for you and he'll, he'll encourage you and he'll give you wisdom and direction. And he'll help you walk through it. But there's hope. And then when you live that way, people will ask you about it. And the Bible says, be ready, be ready to explain it to them. And you know what they need? They just need you to explain the goodness of God and the love of God. That's why you have hope. That's why you have hope. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, (coughs) let your (coughs) good deeds shine out for all to see so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. It says it this way in the translation. Let your light so shine before men. That they will see your good deeds and glorify who? You know what that means? Your life is, there's things in your life that should be happening that people don't even give you credit for. Because it's bigger than you. They see your light shine. Your light shines. And they see your good deeds. But they glorify your father. Because it's so good. They just know. Can I tell you? I saw a buddy of mine in Tampa, and we were joking about our class was in high school was just, it was just weird. I mean, we were just all like, I mean, we were just, we didn't, we just had this unique class. So all these other classes are having reunions. Our, like our class, we're like, whoa, who's doing, who's doing the reunion? And we'll just go to someone else's because we don't plan ours. So we've never had a reunion. We've never had any of this. But I have seen people and connected people, even on Facebook, who were in school with me. And, and I have, they have asked at times, and when I've seen people, they say, Jacobs, what are you doing now? Man, I pastor a church in, in North Carolina. No, like, for real. I'm like, no, I pastor a church in North Carolina. Jinx, man, for real, dude. All right, what are you doing? I, I'm serious, man. I'm a pastor. Well, wow. Man, I'm just going to tell people that know me growing up, they know. Okay, I, that's got to be God. Are, people are coming. 
That's got to be God. For me, I think it. It's got to be. Listen, I'm only up here because of God. If God never asked me to do this, I would be the baddest FBI agent right now. I'd be, that'd be me. I didn't feel like I could do this. But you know what? God has done this through me. And I love looking back at the victories that we've had and the story that we have and saying, wow, I couldn't have done this. Listen, I couldn't have convinced any of you to come to this church. Because if you asked me, I'd be like, hey, tell me about your church. It's all right. I mean, it's good. I mean, pastor's weird. But, But you know what? God brought you. God brought us here to this place. God, God has provided for everything that we need. You, you know this light that comes in here and hits us in the face on Sunday sometimes? Guess God's provided blinds that are going to go up soon. Is that good? It's good for me. That light don't bother y'all, but it drives me crazy. It used to be like, wow, God, I feel you. right. That's just the sun. Hit me in my face. I'm sorry, I digressed a little bit. Okay. So we need to let our light shine. Now look at this next verse, John 13, 35. Your love for one another will prove to the world you're my disciples. You know what that means? The way we live and the way we treat people is what the world is going to know. That's how they're going to know we belong to Jesus. It doesn't say when you tell them, then they'll know. No, they're going to know by the way you love people. That's how they're going to know. By how you show it. And then this gets back to where Patty was talking about. Not just going and talking, not just showing it in the way you live, but it's got to start with you knowing about Jesus yourself. You have to know Jesus. That same verse, let's go to verse 34, John 13, 34. It's a couple verses down. But it's the verse before what I just said. So I just said a minute ago, they'll know by your love for one another. But here's what it says the verse before that. A new commandment I give you, love each other just as I have loved you. In other words, you have to know how God loves us for you to love others. So that's why it's so important for us to recognize God loves us. Because we can't love people like he loves us if we don't know how he loves us. And we try all the time. Can I tell you, if you know how God loves you and you love others that way, that's going to be the greatest way ever for people to know that you belong to Jesus. Is because they're going to see the unconditional love of God flow out of your life. That when they fall, you're there to encourage them to get back up. Not to point out the failure. When their lifestyle doesn't measure up with what we think is right, we don't condone the necessary lifestyle, but we love the person. And we can embrace them where they are before we ever try to encourage them in anything else. We got to love them. We got to love people that are different than us. We got to love people that aren't serving God. We got to love people that have messed up theology. We have to love people that, that don't even believe in God. We have to love people that persecute us, that come against us. The only way we can is we recognize how God loves us. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you failed God. You have missed God. You have lied to God. Not on purpose. 
maybe on purpose. But some of you, Elijah said, I'll, I'll never do that again. I'm sorry, I'll, I'm going to do this. And then you, fail, you fall again. But yeah, God's love, for, not one time has God pulled his love back from you, ever. You have to know God. Look, I have this, uh, we took this thing off the top of our flagpole this morning. And uh, this is a solar light that it goes on the flagpole because at night, if you keep your flag up, you're supposed to have it lit. It's supposed to be lit. That's one of the etiquette things, um, whatever it's called. You know what I mean? Anyway, that's not the point. The point is this. Okay, this is a light. It's a solar light. And it was like yesterday, the Lord just kind of gave me this illustration. So I had Chris take the pole down this morning. Um, but here, do you know the only way this light works is it's got to receive light first. That's it. If this light doesn't receive light, this will never give light. And it is the exact same way with you. You can't show people. You can't go and tell people about Jesus. You can't let your light shine if you don't receive light. The light of the world, Jesus, God, the light of the world shines on us so we can be light in a dark world. And if we just, just you know, a little light here and there, then, but listen, we need constant, constant time with Jesus in the presence of God, in silence and in solitude and in prayer and in meditation and in worship and in all the different things we've talked about. We need the light of Jesus to so shine on us and in us. And that is the only way that we're ever going to really be light. And if I could dare say this, and I can because I'm up here and I have a microphone and I'm the pastor. They're not allowed to turn it off. So here's what I want to say, though. Do you know how many times... We try to shine a light, and we try to be light, but we're not spending time with the light. Because we make it a work, like we think we just need to go do this. And I'm telling you, the only thing, even when the people ask Jesus, what do we have to do to do? He said, listen, it's not about, the only work you need to do is believe in me. Believe in the one I sent. Believe in Jesus. Connect with him. And when you know him, and when his light shines on you and in you, it's only then your light's going to shine. You can only live for God when you're allowing God to just be all, all over you. That's it. You can only give light when you receive the light. Acts 1.8 says this. So you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. You know what it means? Think about the word witness. If you've ever gone to court, I have. There's a judge. It's a prosecuting attorney. There's a def defensive attorney. And then there's witnesses. You know what a witness does? Just shares what they know, what they saw. See, we make evangelism so difficult. Like you have to know all your scriptures. 
Like, you have to be able to, you know, you have to be able to challenge everyone else's belief. Can I tell you what true evangelism is? It's one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. It's just saying, this is the hope I found. This is my story. This is what Jesus did in me. And the same God did that in me, he'll, he'll be there for you. It's about telling people what you've witnessed in your walk with God. But see, you, you can't witness much about God until you're with God and you're spending time with God and you're listening to God. It's only then that you can fully talk about what you've experienced. Because I can tell someone today that God loves them. You know why? Because I, I feel his love. And I can tell people, and I've told pastors this. Listen, if God calls you to do something, trust him. Because I, we left our jobs with no money, no, no idea what we were going to do. But God told us to. And he said, I want you to start a church, but don't promote it. Don't try to build it. Just, just start. I'll bring people. See, that doesn't make sense. But we did it, and he did. So when I talk to people, I am telling people something I experienced. And they, they see it, and they know, hey, he, he actually lived this. That's why I could share that. The, the reason Patty can share why she does that and the heart behind it is because she, she's experienced it. You heard her story. She hit her knees, and she said, God, I can't do this. Something's got to change. And this change has affected her and it's affected even what she was able to share with you is because of, that's her story. She's not just reading something like, oh, yeah, this was good. You might like this. No, that's her. That's what it means to be a witness. Share your story. What's God doing in you? Listen, I tell people, God is awesome. He's funny. He is funny. If you like to laugh, spend time with God. Because he does things. People are like, what is that? What is that? He's just, listen, he called me to be a minister. I'm like, God, you're funny. You are so crazy of all the people. You're like, um, him. Everybody else is like, but I am. <clears throat> I know he picked me. That's crazy. That is crazy, y'all. For me, it's crazy. He picked me, and he said, I'm going to use you. Guess what that means? That I can tell you today that God's got a plan and purpose for you. And if it's bigger than you, it's okay. Because I experience God's faithfulness when something's bigger than me. I, I'm able to share my story. And then the last thing in Acts 4, we won't read all the scriptures, but um, go down to maybe verse 10. Here's Peter. I'm going to set the story up in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're coming, they're going to the temple to pray, and they pass this lame man, and the lame man is begging for money. He's like, hey, can you help us out? Can you, you know, can you hook a brother up? And this is my version. And he says, listen, we don't have, we don't have money to give you, but we have what you really need. It's Jesus. Listen, the world, what they think they need, they don't need. They need Jesus. And Peter looks at him and says, in the name of Jesus, Rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand and he helps him. And he picks him up. And the guy 
stand. And he starts walking and jumping and leaping and praising God because he's, the, he's healed. So as a result of this, now the council and people are coming against them saying, hey, what are you doing? You know, so now they have Peter and John before the council and before the leaders. And so he, they're asking, like, what, what did you do? Why did you do that? And how did you do that? And here's what he says in verse 10. Let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man who you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to as scripture said, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is no salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Listen to this verse. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they recognized them as men, say it with me, who had been with Jesus. The reason that the, the miraculous power of God could flow from their life is because they've been with Jesus. And the council saw it. They didn't say, well, we've spent a lot of time with Jesus. That's why we do this. No, the council said, you know what? They're normal men. And they've had no special training. But you could tell through their boldness. Because you remember Peter before? Before he had power to be a witness? You remember him before? When he was, Mr. I will protect you, Jesus. You're not going to be crucified. I got your back. They're not taking you. He cuts the soldier's ear off that comes after Jesus. And then all of a sudden, they take Jesus. They arrest him. The disciples scatter. They find Peter. And they're like, hey, you're with Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't, I don't know Jesus. Jesus who? Three times he denies Jesus. Bold Peter denies Jesus three times. But he, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he has this power now as a witness. And now they're recognizing where did this boldness come from? The boldness came from being with Jesus. That's what it came from. So for me, everything about this, the message today is not about going and preaching and evangelizing the world. The message today and all the spiritual disciplines are summed up in this. Spiritual disciplines connect you to Jesus. Prayer, meditation, fasting, worship, celebration, silence, solitude. Stillness, all the things we've talked about, it's all connecting you to Jesus. It's not a to-do list. It's not a work-oriented thing. It's connected Jesus. And out of connecting to Jesus, your life's going to change. And people are going to see it. And they're going to ask you about it. And you need to be ready to give an account and explain why you're different. And then you're going to be able to talk to them about it. And that's how you go into all the world and preach the gospel. You spend time with Jesus. And out of that comes a boldness to live it and a boldness to speak it. That's it. Spiritual disciplines connect us to Jesus. Let this be a place. I want this church to be a place that it's not pressure to perform. Let's just hang out with Jesus as much as we can. And then let him lead us. And I promise you, you will witness to more people and you will affect more people 
than you could ever do if we tried to put something together to force that. Just by connecting to Jesus. Because that hope you have, you won't be able to contain it. You won't be able to just keep it to yourself. It's that good. And I'll close with this. We'll take an offering. On the way out, we'll have ushers. We'll have baskets out there. They're not going to sit there and make you. You don't have to put something in there to leave. So just no pressure. But it's just going to be. That's how I wrap up. Because we're running a little bit over than what I wanted to. But uh, but here's what I know. At, at conference. Well, let's take something even local. How many have been to OMG? That donut place. I'm telling you, those apple fritters are phenomenal. <laughs> They're phenomenal. They're the size of your face, and they are wonderful. They're, I honestly think they, they come from heaven. <laughs> I think God spoke those into existence. I don't even think they're made. Let there be fritters, and there was. That's just, I mean, they're so good. But can I tell you something? The first time I had one, I told everybody. I told the church. Y'all have heard it before. There's people today that eat OMG because they said, I remember that day you came. I never heard someone so excited about an apple fritter. But I was like, oh, you got to get up. They just like, oh, you can't help but feel an anointing when you eat it. <laughs> but can I tell you, to this day, people will call me or text me. Guess what I'm getting? Apple fritter. People every now and then will bring me an apple fritter. Praise the Lord. Don't do it too much. But can I just tell you something? You know what I'm thinking? It's an apple fritter. And I want to tell the world because it was so good. And when you spend time with Jesus, you're not going to be able to hold that in. You're going to be like, dude, you want to know something awesome? You You ought to spend some time with Jesus. You want to talk about something incredible that will change your life, not just for a moment like the fritter, but for eternity? It's Jesus. That's the excitement. It'll naturally happen. I didn't come up with a plan in my car. You know what? I think maybe I want to tell people about fritters. I think the world is looking for fritters. No, it just happened because it, so, it, it was so good to me. Right? You get what I'm saying? That's it, y'all. Spend time with Jesus. You'll see how good he is, and it'll flow out of you. It will flow out of you.